0: and welcome to the latest edition of City Parents Talk. I'm Anna Richards from City Parents and today I'm joined by Sandra Paul and Anya Kirk from Kingsley Napley, the law firm. Sandra is a partner and Anya is an associate and they both specialise in youth crime and justice. In their roles, they frequently <laughs> represent children who find themselves in trouble for sharing content online. Parents often don't fully understand the pressures and the online world that children find themselves part of. And Sandra and Anya are keen to help educate us and I for one am very grateful. Sandra, Anya, thank you so much for joining me today. It seems to me that this is a topic which frightens most parents more than any other and which has been particularly prominent in the headlines of late with the regulation and legitimacy of TikTok under much speculation. Please can we start with you telling us a little bit about the main issues that you're seeing at the moment what are the biggest concerns that you're hearing from parents so i should start by saying thank you very much for having us
1: we see parents perhaps a little bit too late, because by the time they are talking to Anya and I, a crisis has arisen. They have been contacted by the school or the police have knocked the door or another parent has raised a concern. And generally in this space, we are concerned with parents whose children have either received an image which is inappropriate or sent an image which is inappropriate. And there is a crisis relating to that. Essentially, this behaviour is referred to as sexting. And you'll probably see it described as that in the headlines. But it covers quite a wide range of information and behaviour, which has to do with behaviour online, whether it's through a young person's phone or what they're doing on a particular app, or just what they're doing in their bedroom at night.
2: One thing to highlight is that sexting really Comprises a really wide range, like Sandra said. So it can be consensual sharing between two people in a relationship. And that, you know, might be something that doesn't necessarily cause so much concern to the school and the authorities. But then it can also include more harmful behavior like bullying or exploitation, where images are forwarded without permission or there's peer pressure and those types of issues in terms of why the young person shared the images in the first place. And I think what we really see in in most of the cases that we deal with is that the children don't know how the law applies to them and don't realise the consequences that flow from these things that they think everyone else is doing, so it must be okay. And the police and the school response can be very intimidating for the young people and the parents. And something we've seen a lot is that this can discourage young people from discussing these issues when it affects them you know including coming forward when an image of them is shared without their permission for instance so i think having these conversations so they're aware of how the law applies to them is something that we want to make people aware of
0: you mentioned on you there that this legal standpoint obviously the law is very much the perspective you're coming at this topic from what is the legal standpoint in relation to children specifically around this sharing of explicit content and and is it sufficient in in your opinion
2: so I should probably just clarify for the listeners that it's perfectly legal for two adults so that's over 18 to consensually share sexual photos or videos with each other within reason in terms of content however that's not the case for children so if you're under 18 and There is a sexually explicit image of you that is an indecent image of a child for the purposes of criminal law. So even if a young person takes a picture of themselves without any encouragement and consensually shares it with their girlfriend or boyfriend, that would, in law, be the making and sharing of an indecent image of a child and illegal. So you know an example we use is that even if you have a picture of yourself on your phone that's never shared if you're under 18 and it is described as a sexual image then that's an offense in law so that is the position whether it's adequate or not is a separate question the law is really a blunt instrument and all of this legislation around sexual offense has been designed to protect children from predatory adults the reality is, in England and Wales, the current age of criminal responsibility is 10. And so these laws apply to children. And where we come in, as Sandra says, it is a bit too late. But the, the young person has already been caught up in the machinery of the criminal law system. And whilst there are some situations where a more nuanced approach is taken by the authorities, it's often too late. And, and although there is some things that we can do as lawyers, there are already balls in motion and and problems for the young person. So you really want to prevent it happening.
0: Absolutely. And as you said, there are things that you can do as lawyers. And of course our membership is predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly working parents and corporate roles. I'm really keen to explore this point. So how can we as parents help our children, particularly when this is a world that is quite new to many people in my generation. How and when do you suggest that we start opening these conversations and how can we help them to prevent this kind of thing happening? I think that it
1: is never too early to start. And so there are things that we can do with our children. And these are lessons, you know, I'm not a parenting expert. So these are things that I pick up from the work that I've done and, and listening to parents and thinking about how we could have prevented this situation in the first place. And so firstly, talking to children before they have a mobile phone, about themselves, about their autonomy, about their agency in terms of what they have choices about making that really clear being part of the conversations that we have every day so it's not like a you sit down and you have the conversation Uh, there are a number of conversations that that happen over a period of time that make us comfortable about um, our children expressing what they're thinking talking to us about what they're doing and how they feel they don't need as i say to have a phone to have that conversation when you are introducing this technology try and understand it yourself or work alongside your child. If they say, well, I want to have this app, sit down, have a look at it, see how it works. Make them kind of critically aware of what they are seeing and hearing. Do you believe that's true? Does that look real? We know that what we see on the internet probably the the biggest noise is made by about one percent of people on the internet the rest of us are pretty much lurkers we don't pay much attention we don't say very much you know asking your child or getting them used to the fact that this isn't real this isn't necessarily about them but being critical in how they listen to that information there are a great number of resources out there and particularly when you're talking about sexual conduct. A great one for young people and adults is Consent is Like Tea. If you haven't seen it before, absolutely watch it. It makes a really complicated message really simple. And actually, there's a children's version as well, which speaks to the issues that I've been highlighting about having autonomy over your body and how you use it, what you do and say and what you give permission for. I think that one of the things that we should not do is make like this isn't happening. Many of us would like to think that our children are immune from this. They aren't. This is something that's happening around them every day. And what you want is those conversations to help them understand, both from a legal and practical perspective, what is and isn't OK, what is not okay whats and isn't safe to do. Really, it's about using it safely rather than making out like it doesn't happen.
2: Just following on from Sandra's point about getting to know the technology, one thing that we see a lot of when we have conversations with young people is, particularly around things like Snapchat, where there's a limited lifespan on the images shared or the conversations, that the young people don't necessarily think that, that they will lose control of the image in the same way. So it seems like they just have a blind spot there and think, oh, well, it's only temporary, so they can send it via this medium and then it's safe. And the young people themselves know this but people take screenshots and that's how they end up permanently stored somewhere that is one way in which we can have a conversation to say well is it really going away after those 30 seconds or however long that you have the settings set for and and just try and ask your children about these types of settings and see how they work to get them thinking critically about where their images are going to end up
0: Sound advice there. Thank you. I'm conscious that although a lot of this technology in this online world feels very new to, to many of the parents that might be listening, actually some of the concepts that we're talking about here are, are age old and perhaps we can help with some of these foundations, whether it's around peer pressure or bullying or confidence, maybe even gender stereotype. I do appreciate your lawyers and not parenting experts, but have you got any advice based on your experience, considering some of these static concepts, I suppose?
1: One of the things that is consistent in the work that we do is that young people have this technology in their bedrooms at night. And I tried in my own parenting, whether or not I was totally successful, I don't know. But there were rules about how you could use a technology. So when they were younger teenagers, they had to leave their laptops outside their bedrooms at night there were no phones around the dinner table. In fact, we still got that and they're 22 and 23 now. <laughs> they're still not allowed to use their phones around the table, you know. Th- there are those practical things about creating boundaries and space, which I think are really helpful. There are controls that you can put on devices. And that's another thing that's come up in our work as well, because of course, if your child share the same cloud space as you, whatever is happening on their phone, is happening on your phone as well. And so if they are sending and receiving these images, there is an adult who is the named person on this account. Then if the police or other law enforcement agencies see these images, it's going to take them a while to work out whether it was the adult or the child. And so I've had the police turn up to arrest a parent when it was in fact a child that was sending images in fact of themselves online. So there are kind of really important things to do about which apps your child is allowed to download and how they use them. And there are different controls that you can place in respect of that. And I think Anya's mentioned already, just educating your child to be sceptical about what they are seeing and what they are doing online is really important as well.
2: I think as well for parents, maybe we're entering hopefully a period where it will be slightly easier to have these conversations because parents were catching up with this technology themselves and now we are seeing more online resources even things like the social dilemma you know which everyone's talking about now and that's a really easy way to watch a film like that with your child and say have you thought about your digital footprint i hadn't thought about it until i watched this movie but this is something we really need to think about and be mindful of where our information that we input goes once we lose control of it. One of the reasons why criminal investigations into sexting are so problematic for young people over and above other types of criminal investigations, all of which are upsetting to be involved in, but but this in particular is, is more problematic, is because of criminal records and so you know even if you come under the radar for offences relating to sexing this can be very serious from a criminal records perspective in future because the harm to a young person's future record is greatest around sexual offences because this is the type of information on the police national computer that can always be disclosed if it is found to be relevant to your job in future so the type of jobs where it would be seen to be relevant would be if you're going to be working with children or vulnerable adults but that can be a wide variety of jobs you know and so even if there is an explanation and you are able to put an explanation at a later stage that's not really a position you want to be in and so I think there is a misconception amongst people who aren't involved in law to think well if I get a caution for this it's no big deal or if it doesn't result in a conviction if the police decide that they're going to take a less formal route which is available in very limited circumstances in and cases then people think that it's not going to have an impact but actually it's very likely to and, and we are still learning as practitioners how that's going to play out because the police are still learning and everyone is still learning about how to determine what is relevant or is something that needs to be disclosed and um, while we're in this period where it's uncertain it's just much better to avoid having anything like that on your record in the first place.
0: Thank you both very much so coming to the end of our podcast now can I ask please each of you to share with us one main takeaway from this conversation what would that be?
1: I guess my key takeaway is to not duck the conversation this is something that your child needs your help with um, this world that they inhabit now is so all consuming that if you don't start the conversation, they won't know that you're willing to talk about it. And it's just an essential part of doing the best for our kids. And, It's great if you can use the words, if they're old enough, that it is about sex and sexuality and we cringe when we have to talk to our kids about these things. But in this instance, you can use any number of words that don't necessarily relate to that, but relate to how they feel about what they are doing online, whether it impacts them, how it impacts them, what they would like to do, whether they feel safe or unsafe. It's a really important conversation to have and to keep having. Because it means that if they need your help, they know that you are willing to listen.
2: One of the key points to really impress upon your children is that once an image is sent and once they click that send button, it leaves their control and they then have no control over what other people will do with it. And that really is the central issue around all of these types of sexting online images because if If they don't have it, then there's just no way of knowing what's going to happen next.
0: Thank you, Sandra, Onya, for sharing those final points for us and for taking the time to talk to me today. So many important and frankly terrifying issues in there and some very pertinent recommendations and advice. I'm sure our listeners will be as grateful as I am to you for sharing your experience and expertise with us. And thank you to our listeners as well. If you'd like to find out more about City Parents, please visit us at cityparents.co.uk. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook and stay tuned for more from City Parents talk coming soon. Goodbye.